Well, hello and welcome to this week's edition of Politics in the Pulpit. We're glad to have you with us. In Politics in the Pulpit, we look at the upcoming lectionary texts for the weekend and we ask the provocative question of whether and how politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Dave Main. I'm a Baptist minister based in Essex and I'm pleased to be hosting this season's edition of the podcast. I'm even more pleased that my guest this week is none other than Rodney Coker. Rodney, welcome. Uh, Rodney was uh, the JP intern last year and based in the House of Commons. I'm told, I didn't realise this, that you have a degree in constitutional politics, law and theory. That sounds like a lot of essay writing and reading to me. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I don't like to mention it too much, but yes, I do. Um, an amazing degree. Much yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed. I'm thankful to be on this, a privilege. Oh, great. So taking all of that knowledge and experience, your year in the Commons with JPIT, your degree, for you, how do faith and politics knit together? I think it's an interesting question. You know, um, growing up as a Christian, it was never felt like politics should be discussed in the church, on the pulpit. And I always had that reticent to it. I was be like, oh, this is a touchy area. But I think once you develop more in the faith and in the times I've been able to preach, I think I've always found it difficult to preach in these times because preaching in these times where there's so much political polarization is very difficult and it's fraught with a lot of challenges. You don't know what you're going to say that could possibly affect people and people could, by the words you use, deem you to have a political motive and when you're on the pulpit, every utterance is monitored and watched closely. But I think um, being the person I am, I'm someone that I don't go without conscience or conviction. So whenever um, issues of injustice strike my heart, I think it's always natural to speak on them because you're speaking to a congregation of people that are facing political issues, societal issues every single day. And these are things that they need to be discussed but always keeping in mind that I'm not doing it to satisfy any partisan loyalties, but to speak the truth of the gospel. Amen to that. And um, you mentioned about the increasing sort of polarization um, in our political discourse. So how, how do we then as Christians, how do you think we make a positive contribution to the political landscape rather than adding to that polarization? I think um, we can look to the Bible as a motivating factor and a reference point. Um, the Bible calls on us to speak out on issues of injustice. And I think it's always good when we have people, Christians, non-Christians, speaking out on injustice and just generally speaking out on things that they are not too happy with or they've been made aware of. That is something that's fundamental within our society known as freedom of expression and freedom of speech. But for me and as a Christian, I always say that lines can be blurred there and our responsibility there is to do as the bible calls us to do which is speak and correct out of love and that's the key essence to it all um speaking out of love is not we know what love is based on first corinthians 13 and it's patient it's kind and i had the opportunity as you mentioned to work with jay pitt for a year and one of the six hopes was a politics characterized by kindness and i think that's a key thing and it's something that when I look at society and think about many injustices and things that concern me, 
language is a big thing. And it's something that even on a personal level, for my personal development, I am trying to be aware of the words I use and the language I used, even in general conversations, because they're impactful. Um, are you buzzing for conference season? Uh, <laughs> somewhat. I think it's always good to um, have these moments where you can really get to know about um, each party's agenda and what they hope to achieve. And, and it's there and then. It's their week, you know. And they get put to the test. But um, for me, conference week is conference week. It's a time for parties to... Um, a bit of propaganda and show what they need to do but it's not something i take too seriously but it's it is interesting and fun i do wait for certain moments but i yeah. tend to like the end of it more <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so what are you up to now because obviously your internship finished in the summer what's uh what's keeping you busy well as of right now i've um actually been working with um a lot of youths within the local betsy council that have been dealing with mental health and just um, antisocial behaviour. And it's more of a mentoring role and something that I've been able to get my hands on within the last few weeks. And it's something that is for the next three months, which I'm excited for. And thereafter, I will look to go back into the political domain of things. Okay, nice. So one of the things we often ask guests on the, on the podcast is, are there any sort of key justice issues or uh, political uh, issues that's partic particularly connected to your context at the moment? You've already mentioned antisocial behaviour, mental health. Um, mm. I mean, they're such big, big things. Are there, are there other issues that are particularly prevalent for you at the moment? I would say, um, just following on from that um, mental health thing, I think I'm really, like I said, concerned about the language used, not only in politics, but just in society in general. And I think um, I've got a keen interest in the online harms bill because um, I do want social media companies to be cracked down upon and we see a lot of abuse. Um, mm -hmm. It tends to be racial abuse, but abuse generally also. And I'm big on racial justice um, on, amongst many other um, issues. And thereafter, I think um, looking back home, I'm really concern and I think to be honest with you it's the first time I've prayed you know when you're in a desperate situation they say your prayer life intensifies or the way you pray intensifies and I think with me I've never really been struck by an issue the way I've been st struck by on um, the potential cut or right now the actual cut to on um, universal credit on um, the 20 pounds uplift was so needed and you don't realize how big of a kite is it changes people's lives and the fact that there's many families that are going to have to as the months get colder um decide between an extra meal for their family or heating is really a choice that shouldn't be made in this country a country such as ours and for me i've been praying deeply about that and i really hope that the government can make a u-turn in saying that i'm equally aware that the kind of politics we've created is one whereby the admission of a mistake within the in within the political arena is one that parties and politicians are afraid to make because of how it's looked upon but um i really do hope that despite 
what will be said, whether it's another U-turn or whatever. They just do the right thing. And I think that's important. Mm. Thank you very much. That ties in quite nicely. We we asked the wonderful JPIC team to flag up any particular things that are relevant for us as we uh, discuss each week. And the universal credit changes are uh, a key thing that the team have highlighted for me this morning because this week really represents one of the last chances the government would have to to change that before the, the cut comes into force next week. This week's also the last week of the job furlough scheme. So it'll be interesting to see how that impacts things. And so it's also then a whole load of, of anxiety and monitoring for debt advice charities, food banks, you know, the knock-on effect for all the people trying to help is going to be uh, intensified. Obviously, we have the issues with energy. And as you mentioned there, the hard decisions for those experiencing poverty about the cost of heating their homes as winter approaches. And then, of course, we have the, the spectacle of uh, petrol shortages in some parts of the country, although whether that would be a self-inflicted wound by the citizenry of the nation is a, another issue for us to discuss sometime, maybe. Um, they highlighted two other things. The first is that Good Money Week starts on Saturday. Uh, focusing on using your money for good. Now, this isn't a change that comes out of the church. This, uh, the campaign doesn't come from the church. It's an initiative from elsewhere, but it's a great opportunity to think about social change, positive investment, themes of stewardship and generosity. Lots to think about there with COP and disinvestment as well. And great to see many of the churches who are part of JPIT taking concrete, positive moves in that area over recent months. And then the final thing and a significant thing that the team have highlighted is the conversation around women's safety, um, which is being raised again after the, the murder of Sabina Nessa and the vigil over recent days and how important that is for us to be reflecting on too. Um, in terms of the liturgical space that we find ourselves in, we're still in the season of creation. And many churches will be celebrating harvest either recently or over the coming weeks as well. So there's quite a lot to hold in our minds as we turn to the lectionary uh, this week. So we're going to do that now. We've got three readings from Job uh, and from Hebrews and from Mark chapter 10. Before we, we have a look at each one of them, uh, Ronnie, I wonder um, what you made of these readings. I confess I started reading the gospel first this week. I, I don't normally do that, but I thought I would. And I thought, oh, crumbs. Um, I wonder if the others will be uh, any easier. And then I ended up saying, I think I'll go back to the gospel uh, reading. <laughs> um, was there anything that you found naturally sits across all three? Any key themes or ideas? I realise it's early in the week still. Whoa. I think um, for me, the gospel was quite a hard one to match with the other two. I found that okay. the gospel was quite um, separate from it. And it's something that I intend on working through later on and really reflecting on. Um, I found there to be a link between Job and Hebrews. I thought there was a incredible link, I think. And the gospel was something that seemed a bit out of it, but something that I'm sure greater minds than me can <laughs> bring together and pick up on common themes within all three. Well, well, let's start there, though. Then let's start with Job and Hebrews. And so, so talk to us about the connection between those two that you uh, have been drawing so far. Yeah, so we were 
asked to look at um, Job too, and mm-hmm. I think this. I think firstly, the book of Job is a, a book that um, Job's an interesting character within himself, but um, it's a book that every Christian has to really read, and those that are non-Christians also have to like wrangle with too. And I think it's an interesting book. Why? Because it's a book that makes us somewhat question the image of God. You know, um, we find a man in Job that's considered as the scriptures quotes him blameless. And now when we think of the word blameless, we think, oh, he must have been incredible. Never put a foot wrong. But um, for me, I don't see it like that. I think when Job is described as blameless, I think he's blameless as a person can be. You know, we often hear, um, oh, he's a good person. But what does good really mean? Um, you know, but I think you're as good as you can be. So Rodney, you're a good person. I'm good as whatever good can be. David, you're a good person. You're, you're as good as good can be. So we don't really know. When we think of blameless, I think he's blameless as a person can be. Is that perfect? No, because I think the only one that was perfect was Jesus. The Bible speaks about all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And I imagine that includes someone like Job. But I believe Job was blameless as can be. But I think we find ourselves in a predicament in this scripture because this scripture describes Job as that. But then he is still tested in a way and put through suffering that's unimaginable. And what it does for me, it pokes that question, that very famous question of, why do bad things happen to good people? And if Job is this man, a man of integrity, a man that's blameless, it creates the feeling that bad things happen to good people. And then we have the character of God questioned here. Because um, if everyone thinks of their image of God as someone that is caring and loving, and in this scripture, it's almost like this isn't the God that's caring and loving. This is somewhat a God that's petty, that's willing to ruin an innocent man's life to prove a point. And you're like, is this really the God I'm meant to admire and fear? But um, I think that's what's interesting. It's the portrayal of God in this story. And also the question many people have to answer about suffering. Yeah, I think Job is very difficult in some ways to preach without resorting to sort of Christian cliches um, and to really understand. Because I I think if you can read this passage and not have questions about the character and nature of God, then you're not reading it right. You know, there's just something here that should be a profound challenge to us. Um, I wonder if there's something in here about the challenge to be faithful to the people we're called to be, regardless of whether that comes with blessings or not. I wonder if the, you know, cause the challenge here, isn't it to God is that well, Job only does these things and worships you because he's got everything that he could possibly want. And it's a bit of a challenge. We, we were thinking in church yesterday, following some stuff from BMS world mission about people who are Christians in parts of the world where it's hard to be a Christian and where following Jesus has brought them, 
hardship and and um, uh, difficulties rather than blessings and prosperity, and yet their commitment to Christ is is so firm. And I found that a profound challenge. And just this idea that faith doesn't guarantee prosperity or a lack of trouble, I think, is always a good challenge. Um, but yeah, it's a very interesting text. I think this is the hardest bit of the book of Job altogether, actually. Um, I think you make an interesting point there about um, what this challenge of the story of Job presents to us. I think we can look at it and say that throughout the Bible, God is someone that throughout the Old Testament, New Testament is someone that um, rewards um, the righteous and punishes the wicked. And with Job here, we have a man that's considered faithful. But um, I think the devil really points out one serious flaw in the image of God. And it's what you touched on that Job's only doing this really because um, you're blessing him. So take away these blessings. Let's see how much he will really serve you and if he will really respect you. And I think you touched on something about being faithful to the people we are despite our suffering or our situation. I think it's incredibly important because um, I think there's always a desire to change who you are, not be yourself based on what you have and what you don't possess. But I think there's real genuinity and trueness to who you are in spite of what you possess or what you don't have. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And while uh, for folks who are listening or watching the podcast, if you've got any really good resources or you've come across good stuff on Job, perhaps you might uh, follow the stuff on Twitter, the politics and the public post, post on Twitter, let other people share the goodness. If you've come across things that you found helpful in in exploring the book of Job, we'd or I would certainly, even if no one else wants to know, I would love to share in those resources with you. So how do you draw a line then, Rodney, from Job to Hebrews? I think um, we see the suffering of Job here and it's a bit intense and we're challenged in terms of how do we understand God? How do we even understand suffering? And when you grow up in church, you always hear like messages preached about there being beauty and pain and there's a purpose for your pain. There's a purpose for your suffering. And I remember um, I was picked up on it the other day and someone said that, why is it in church we like to glorify suffering so much? And I was like, hmm, interesting question. I don't know if necessarily that's the case, but I do think there is. And I think we can look at the, the link between Hebrews and Job is that issue of understanding God. And I think it talks about in Hebrews 2, 9, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And the lectionary readings in Hebrew speak about Jesus being the radiance of God's glory and him being light and their exact representation of his being. And speaking about Jesus being a little lower than the angels is a bit of a reference point to the book of Psalms in David, Psalms 8, when he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You have made us a little lower than the angels. 
And it says in Hebrews about Jesus tasting death for everyone. And then we get an image of God. And it's key because anyone that doesn't understand suffering or understand the character of God based on Job may get a, may get a better understanding because of Hebrews. It says that Jesus suffered death so he he might taste death for everyone and i think we get the image of god as someone who isn't content to sit and watch humanity from on high suffer and i think we get a god who actually through jesus enters into our struggle because i think the book of job can give us two images of god we have a we serve a God, or there is a God that doesn't intervene in people's suffering. He allowed the devil to touch Job like this and take everything away from him. Or we can look at it and see that we have a God who enters into the struggle of humanity, prepared to chase the tragedy and death for the sake of humanity. And where do we see that? We see that kind of God in the representation of Jesus. And I think it calls us as brothers and sisters in Christ, but also in community to also do that for one another. And I think that's where we find the link. I love that. Um, when I was at theological college, uh, my, my first course there, they, we were taught that when we come to the scripture, there are only really two fundamental questions. And the first is what kind of God? And the second is, so what? And every other question is a derivative of those two. But I think that what kind of God is something that's coming out really clearly here that in Job and in Hebrews, actually, we, we begin by reflecting on what we learn about the character of God and we start there for our, our reflecting. And that's really, really interesting. And the importance of the incarnation. And um, obviously, you know, that naturally leads to thing about Philippians 2 and other spaces. And, and as you mentioned, the Psalm 8 passage that's quoted here. Um, it's so easy, I think, in church. Well, I don't know, you may have a different experience to me. I find it so easy in church sometimes just to lose um, a sense of the awe and wonder that Christ would come and, and be here. And um, the incarnation is such a revolutionary thing. Um, but it's so easy because we talk about it rightly so much. It's very easy to take it for granted, I think. But actually here there's a reminder, particularly in this Hebrews passage, of just how remarkable this is. And actually you've got, if you take the God of Job, it, you know, the, the image we get of God there, to think that that same God is here in Hebrews 2, and not being ashamed to call us sisters and brothers. You know, there's something, it makes me question then, you know, if you just had the Job reading, I think you'd miss something quite important. But Absolutely. yeah, really, really interesting. I think the, the Job question um, ties into that um, issue and question I was speaking about earlier. I think if you just read Job, like you're saying, you get a different character mm. and you leave with a um, different feeling about God and understanding his character and who he is. I think you have the potential and likelihood of coming out with a feeling that bad things happen to bad people. And, you know, sometimes we hear a situation whereby someone's in hospital, go and visit them. No, 
they deserve what's coming to them. And that's why. They're there. But I think the truth of the matter is from the book of Job is that bad things happen to good people too. Good things happen to bad people too. Mm. It is it is who God is. And I think we know God to be a fair and just God, but equally loving. And I say that because um, we see a situation whereby many people look at people that are quote unquote wicked and go, how are they prospering? And I think it was even a biblical dilemma for someone like David. And then we also find in the scripture that God is just so loving and interesting to understand that he really just loves and pours out his blessings on the just and the unjust. And it's just who he is. And I think it really goes in line with the saying that good things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people. Yeah. Well, talking of difficult things that happen to good and bad people alike, um, perhaps we might drift into the gospel passage then, yeah. um, which I would be very conscious as a preacher of the significant pastoral dimension to, to this passage um, as well. Um, where where do you start with this? I think um, the gospel was so interesting in Mark 10 because it seems as though um, it's like we're speaking about divorce here and I'm just like, am I qualified to speak about this? Um, but I think... It's about understanding there's a, a oneness here and what they represent. And I understand that um, it speaks about male and female and a man leaving his father's house and a woman leaving her mother's and uniting and becoming one flesh. But I think um, there's a level of humility that needs to come in here too that comes from being in community with people i think um we're called to when we come to god and those that want to enter the kingdom we need to be like children why because children are sometimes unassuming they're just a bit naive but there's also a willingness and an endearingness to want to always be there and help and be their little cute and charming selves, sometimes annoying too. But um, most of the time, that's the picture we get. And I think it's important because um, we see that humility within Job, but we also see that in terms of the way the scripture um, speaks about it in, in Jesus and him being the representation of God. So I think there's an element of oneness and community within this scripture that also takes its pain from marriage and mm. all that unity and then becoming one and together. I think if you can somewhat take that away from necessarily being a husband and wife in a marriage situation and just look at our relationship with each other or even going a step further and looking at our relationship between government and its people and the responsibility is there and 
how there's like an indebtedness within that. I think you find many qualities and strengths within this scripture. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm struck by what you said about, um, yeah, am I qualified to, to preach on this? I ask myself so often um, that, and I think actually owning our own story and narrative is really important and, um, you know, being conscious of, of where uh, that experience sometimes is is helpful and sometimes isn't and um this particular one everyone in my family apart from me is divorced so uh you know it's a very uh it's not an unfamiliar story for me but there'd be other situations where i've, I've said quite up front to the congregation i'm this is not my story and therefore you know that impacts how we how we have to do it but i, I think depending on how you read this text there is a um and I would probably be looking, I'm not actually not preaching this weekend, but were I to be, I think I'd be looking to draw some links between this passage and what's going on uh, with the safety of women and the murder of Sabina Nessa um, and the lack of progress that's been made since Sarah Everard and all the other people we actually, we never hear about who would be facing that. I think there is a little bit of smash the patriarchy here in this text, if one wants to see it, um, because there my reading of this is that there would have been there was quite a live debate between different schools of judaism about how to understand what's going on and as you say about the law and government and you can read all that across because really this is being presented to jesus as a how do we interpret the law best story just like in chapter seven as well and obviously at the time there were no reciprocal rights for women at all um and jesus does this interesting thing where he almost seems to set Genesis against the mosaic tradition here in front of them, which is really interesting. But I think more than anything, the question is questioning how the scripture is being used to legitimize current social practice. And we could find a lot of examples today, I'm sure, of how scripture is used to justify social practice, which would not be how we would have it be and how God would have it be. Um, but this protests, I think, the way in which patriarchal practice drives a wedge into the unity and equality of marriage. Um, divorce is so often uh, a profound tragedy, uh, socially, spiritually, it's difficult, but it is reality. And I think there's something here about not losing the justice and the issues here in amongst the reality of what's going on. You know, both parties must have the right to take the initiative for this to be as it's supposed to be. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I think that's where I would be attempting to draw some links this week, but uh, there is still a deep challenge of trying to do that in a way which is going to be helpful uh, for those who are here. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes you go into church and you see the readings and you, you're kind of already half expecting some, before you've even heard anything, your brain is is going, you know, and I feel like this is one of those sorts of, it's like when you go in and sometimes you've walked in, oh, I've walked in on the annual, we need to give more sermon. You, you know, you read the text and you know where it's going. Um, and it's, it's so trying to, I would want to be particularly at the beginning of reflecting on Mark, um, trying to come at that slightly differently so that I didn't lose people into a, a quagmire of uh, reflection that wasn't going to, wasn't going to help but yeah it's uh, an interesting reading to be thinking about Definitely. um had you thought of where this might connect with the others at all or um 
I confess I've got three quite different things and I hadn't I hadn't seen the connection you'd made between Hebrews and Job, which I've definitely written down for the Bible study I'm leading tomorrow. Um, but I haven't quite connected Mark with that yet. Yeah, I think Mark is a is somewhat of a struggle to connect, but I I do feel um the issue in terms of its relevancy for today and what mm. women are going through and in recent months, what we've seen about the safety of women, I think is really important because I think it's important that we understand that women have rights and they are equally as strong as us and have the right to certain um, things that also society makes us believe that men are entitled to. I think um, it's really important here that we see that in divorce, and I don't subscribe to divorce unless it's in um, cases like domestic abuse and such things, but also even where there's unhappiness, because I think we're called to live a life of prospering. And if you're not in a situation that's not necessarily good for you, I think it's important to leave. But I think that for women, it's important that it's clear here within the scripture that a man can divorce. Okay, it says adultery. But I think we shouldn't really take it necessarily that literally, because um, even if it goes beyond adultery, adultery is not the only thing that within divorce proceedings, as my sister's a lawyer, that can be seen as um, irreconcilable differences. I think there's many things that can be there. And I think it's important that women know their power and know that they have the equal strengths and rights and responsibilities as men to ensure their safety. So when you're preparing a, a sermon, when you're reflecting on passages, are there, aside from maybe, you know, some Bible study notes, some commentaries, those kinds of things, are there any other places you get inspiration from? Art, music, films? Where, where are some of your go-to touch points? Oh, I do, I do um, tend to like to, I think when I'm, preparing a sermon or just like reflecting on a theme within a passage, I tend to read a lot of hymns and lyrics and okay. point out to them. And I think they're important um, in terms of building the message and understanding, all right, how does this song relate to what I'm reading and the truth of it and just going through and picking up key themes between the lyrics of that hymn or that Christian song and the passage. So you find out, all right, does this song speak about a, a similar challenge and experience of this scripture? All right, what are the lessons of this scripture and like what song relates to it that can get people to resonate with it? Those are the things that tend to work for me. Well, you're going to have to tell us, have you got a favourite hymn then while we're about it? favorite hymn you know ah, i don't have a favorite hymn but um i do tend to um in like the last year or two have been singing like oh four thousand tongues to sing that one it does touch me a bit but then it's also praise my soul the king of heaven so there's quite a few yeah quite, yeah i've got a lot of them <laughs> Strong choices, strong choices. Yeah. We love that. <laughs> um, well, 
Ronnie, thank you so much for taking some time to come and be part of the podcast today. We really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and reflections with us and helping us as we explore how we might be bringing politics into the pulpit this week. To everybody watching, if you have enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. You can share this with your friends in your denominational networks, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on the conversation too. Uh, get involved uh, via Twitter, or you can contact us directly. But as we go into the week, we do that with our blessing for this season. May the blessing of the God of peace and justice be with us. May the blessing of the Son who weeps the tears of the world's suffering be with us. And may the blessing of the Spirit who inspires us to reconciliation and hope be with us from now and into eternity. Amen. Amen. Thank you. See you.